Carrie Thomas, everybody. She's going to come up and teach. Ooh, the applause is for me, not for Aaron, right? <laughs> hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to see your faces. I'm Carrie, as Aaron said, um, the cooler half of the two of us. And I'm, I'm really privileged to bring some good words to you today and uh, an announcement. So pay attention the whole time because I might just slip it in there just to see if you're paying attention. So we've been doing this, this series uh, as part of the season of Epiphany. This is, uh, we typically, especially um, before Easter, at the beginning of, of every year, we like to follow um, a liturgical calendar seasonally when it comes to our preaching. Um, and I, I think we, we stick to it most of the time. We just kind of see what God pulls up for us. But right now we are in this season of Epiphany. The epiphany as a word has become known as something that is sort of like a sudden knowing of something. That definition stems from the original epiphany, which was the, which was the appearing of Jesus Christ. So this is kind of what we are celebrating in this season as we've just celebrated Jesus being born and he is the manifestation, which is what epiphany actually literally means, um, the manifestation of God, the, the being of God coming to earth, him arriving and appearing. And as we look through these, uh, the, the lens of Jesus and his light, we are going to be looking at a few different topics that his light sheds truth on, uh, that maybe we don't know the truth of yet until we look at it through the lens of Jesus Christ. Today, um, I'm going to be talking about something that I think we all need and want and crave. So I have three little boys. Um, one of them, I shouldn't say little. I'm so used to saying little, but my youngest is going to be 10 in October. Um, they're still little, but they're not little, little. Uh, one of my sons is in here right now, William. His birthday is tomorrow. So if you get a chance, go ahead and give him a high five. He'll be 11 tomorrow. Um, so I have three little boys. My youngest, my t almost 10-year-old, is Sutter. And Sutter is the most filled with light, the shiniest person that I know, um, that I know. Maybe you know other shiny, wonderful people. But this kid is always in a good mood. He wakes up very early in the morning. He's the first to rise every day. And we know he's awake because we can hear his little sounds. You can hear him prancing in his bedroom. That's kind of a, a cute word for this little jumpy walk thing that he does. So he kind of hoots and hollers, ee, oh, ah, ah, and makes these sounds that are him just being goofy. They're not ticks, they're just him being kind of silly. And he has this walk about him that I thought he would lose as a toddler and then as a preschooler and then as a, no, he's kept it. He has this walk where he just kind of, he's so happy, he just walks and he just, just hops. I mean, it's a real thing. If you pay attention, you'll see the hopping. He just does it as part of life. This kid is always happy. Yesterday, we had kind of a nice, relaxing afternoon at home, and um, I was folding laundry in my bedroom, and I heard sounds coming from outside of my kids. Aaron had come into my room, and he said, oh, don't worry. They're just throwing water bottles up in the air. Um, they're doing that thing that seems to be hanging around of taking a water bottle and flipping it, trying to get it to land. 
Um, but my inventive children weren't like throwing it. They were outside in our, in our back by our garage, throwing it as high as they could, thinking that maybe <laughs> this tiny little water bottle that had gone four stories in the air would land <laughs> you know, completely flat. They were uh, disappointed that none of them did. However, Sutter's landed in our gutter, and we heard it, and I opened the window. You know, inside I'm giggling because it's cute. He's still cute. It's funny. It's not that big of a deal, but I couldn't, don't tell him I said this. <laughs> I couldn't let that on. I looked out and I said, Sutter, you know, and I gave him that kind of like scowl. And he is a mama's boy. This kid does not like it when I scowl at him. Anybody else in the world could scowl at him and he'd be like, hmm. You know, he'd hop on. But me, he just takes it and he looks seriously and he said, sorry. And then he turned around and went back to his tigger walk. And he was just happy as can be. And I look at that kid and I look at all three of my kids. And I have to admit, I get jealous of that joy that is inside of them. You know what I'm talking about? That sort of weightlessness, that sort of... Um, freedom that they feel. Um, I'm a pretty nostalgic person, and if you follow me on Pinterest, you already know this, because it's the only Pinterest board I really do, is this big nostalgia board. And I've been doing it a lot lately. And I just have just little like things like toys and clothes and stuff that just brings back memories of childhood and um, you know, fond memories. And the fondest memory that I, that I remember having at the earliest age um, is, is something that has stuck with me my whole life, of course, but it was really young. I think maybe around three is, is my guess. Um, and I, I think that maybe this has stuck with me because it was my first favorite thing to do. And my first favorite thing to do is I'm gonna put a picture up on screen. Well, Zach will was ride a bike with my mom. We had this, this white like baby carrier seat um, that, yes, I was three years old and that I promise you, I was in that thing and my feet were probably hanging off of it because I loved it so much and I loved going on it. That's not me and my mom. I was not that cute of a kid. <laughs> so I don't have a picture of us um, riding the bike together but I wanted you to get into this image with me and imagine this with me. So I do have a picture of my mom and I when we were about that time. So that's the next picture. I, I told you. It's, that's a really horrific haircut. We can all agree on that. Uh, my mom and I both have bullets, if you, if you look. So this is, this is the house I lived in. Um, and actually, the Indianapolis 500 uh, Speedway is it was like right there, really close to my house. That's not part of my sermon, but now you know. Um, that's not the bike my mom took me on, but my mom would, would take me around on this bicycle, and I still to this day remember the feeling of being on the back of her bike and feeling the tugging as she would pedal, the swaying the left and right as she would pedal, and as she would make turns or go uphill. And I remember that feeling of feeling so safe, I'm with my mom, I'm buckled in, and I remember loving the breeze on my little chubby cheeks and horrible haircut hair. I remember that feeling so well. 
And the best word I can use to describe it is free, free. Oh, do you guys have moments like that in your life, especially in your childhood, that you remember that you've hung on to? You remember feeling free? I think it's a, it's a feeling that um, every one of us can say that we would enjoy. We find it in different ways. Um, but perhaps it's easiest to come by it when we're a kid, when the weight of responsibilities and burdens ha aren't on our minds and the life lessons that that come and weigh us down aren't there. In fact, I want you to take a moment before I continue. Just close your eyes. I'm going to give you a good 15 seconds, 30 seconds. Close your eyes and just try and remember a time, the earliest memory you have where you felt free. Just think about that. Think about the way that it felt, the way that it smelled, the way that it tasted, whatever it felt like. Just imagine that for 15 seconds. Okay, open your eyes. It's a wonderful feeling to enjoy and to think of. But most of us in here are adults. We know all too well that this is something that is hard to come by as adults. As we grow older <clears throat> and more aware, the sense of, of freedom and weightlessness is something that we sort of lose touch with over time. It begins with learning just rules and how to follow rules and sort of the pressure of those rules. We start gaining responsibilities and uh, things that we need to do, take care of, including taking care of ourselves, things that just start to become just part of being human. But eventually, the weight of responsibility turns to burdens, hurts turn to wounds. These things become heavy, so heavy, that we are just grasping for that free feeling that we felt that sort of painless time that we felt. And we start to find ways to enjoy that feeling again just by our own effort, right? So there's lots of things that we enjoy that are gifts from the Lord and we take them in. Things like spending time with other people, falling in love. Um, we take joy in entertainment or doing creative things. There's things that kind of help bring us to that place. And I believe those are, are gifts from the Lord, however, when it turns to becoming, you are leaning on these things and only these things, and they stop working. Maybe it's, it's Netflix and shows. Maybe it's um, medication that you take. Maybe it's pain medication. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's smoking. Maybe it's unhealthy relationships. Things that you do that you think are finally giving you that thing that you lost. Right? They're finally giving the freedom, but it ends because nothing earthly can satisfy us. Not one thing. But Jesus has the exact thing that will bring us to that place. And he shows us that he designed us for that. That feeling, that sense of weightlessness comes from him. We're going to read a section of scripture. This is a long one, so I'm going to hang with me. This is uh, Galatians chapter 5. 
The end chunk of this is my current favorite, and it has been for a few years. But let's, let's read this together. I have it on screen. Now, the version I have on screen is the message version. So you, we have Bibles up front. Certainly feel free to open those up and try and follow along. But it is worded very differently than this version right here. So let's read along together. It is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you will be annihilating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? My counsel is this. Live freely animated and motivated by God's spirit. Then you won't feel the compulsions of selfishness. For there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with a free spirit, just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. These two ways of life are antithetical, so that you cannot live at times one way and at times another way according to how you feel on any given day. Why don't you choose to be led by the Spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence? <coughs> it is obvious that what kind, what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a, sting, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to be love or to love or to be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions ugly parodies of community, I could go on. This isn't the first time I have warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities is killed off for good, crucified. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. This means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. There's so much good stuff in that section, and I love this version. Um, but I want to focus on this particular section. So I'm going to put this section right back up here. This is verses 16 to 18. I think I have it, yeah. My counsel is this. Live freely, animated and motivated by God's spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness, for there is a root of self-interest in us that is at odds with a free spirit just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. 
these two ways of life are antithetical, so that you cannot live at times one way and at times another way according to how you feel on any day. Why don't you choose to be led by the Spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence? Live freely, animated, and motivated by God's Spirit. Why don't you choose to be led by the Spirit? That, those reminders in there, there's the truth, there's the nugget we want to grab onto this morning, guys. Being led by the Spirit. Why try to lean on all these devices that you try to come up with your own? Following a bunch of rules isn't going to get you, get you there. If that was the case, Jesus would have never come. The law wouldn't have needed to be lived out by Jesus coming. It wouldn't have needed to be pushed away. So that doesn't work. All these things that make us feel good, all these things that our, our physical bodies tell us are the right things for ourselves, those end too. They stop satisfying. There's an end. There's a limit. But there's no limit to the spirit. So why not live freely animated and motivated by God's spirit? Why not choose to be led by the spirit? In a world where the truths we are supposed to be believe in change every day, how can we not grab onto this? Here's the thing, we live, we, I love to say we live in a time because there's no other time that I've, we've lived in, but I'm pretty sure this is the case of, in all time. Truth changes every day, everywhere you are, depending on the people group that you're with, the season that you're in, the location in the world, the country, the city. Truth changes. Political correctness sounds really great, but it changes. And yet we use these things as a measurement of how to be. And we think maybe if I just do these things, and I do these things that everybody else has accepted and says is the, is the way to be, then I'll get the feeling I need. I'll get the affirmation from people that makes me feel like I'm doing it right. I'll feel proud of myself. I, will, I can do this. I can follow these things and get this. But that's not how the spirit works. Because none of this can sustain you. Let me take a drink real quick. But what, how can we be sustained then? What does it look like? Because I can easily sit here and say, just live in the spirit. Well, that could mean a lot of things. Mm. And frankly, it can sound quite dismissive and, um, and airy to put it out there like that. Let's talk about how we do that. How do we listen to the spirit? Because I don't know about you, but there's all kinds of people that say that Jesus told them to do stuff and they're doing crazy stuff. And I'm like, there's no way Jesus told you to do that. <laughs> so it's hard to really buy that, isn't it? It's hard to. But when you have been in the presence of holiness, in the presence of the spirit, and you have given your life up and said, I am completely yours, and he fills you with this overwhelming sense of his presence, you know. Unfortunately, it's not something that I can teach you to do. It's something that you have to come to and learn and embrace. But there's a way to do it that I can at least encourage you to try. So Restore Church has changed a whole lot over the, I don't know how long, officially nine years, almost nine years. We've changed a lot, but uh, a lot of things have changed. But what we do, how we, how we, uh, what we rely on as part of what our, our church does is, is discipleship. It's always been important to us. It's important to learn what being a disciple is 
and then what making a disciple looks like as well. And this is something that we don't think you ever arrive to. You learn about it forever. In, in fact, the word disciple literally means learner. So it's not something you get a degree from and you run and you're like, I'm a disciple, I'm good, I'm done. Degree, check, it's something we're continuously doing for the rest of our lives. We will always be disciples and hopefully disciples who are making disciples as Jesus called. So part of this discipleship um, is that we, um, we really embrace this, this holy rhythm of rest and work. This is, this is a tool that we use to teach um, how, how to sort of uh, lean in and how to hear from the spirit, how to lean into the spirit is by following some of these rhythms. These are rhythms that are in, in God's word that people have been following since people existed. Um, and of course, Jesus exemplified every one of these rhythms. There's a lot of history behind each one. Um, I want to look at John 15, verse 4, right before we go into this. It says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So you think of, you picture a vine, right? Um, now, what comes off of a vine? There's a lot of wine drinkers in here. I know you know the answer. Grapes. Okay. Uh, one kind of vine, yes, produces grapes. I can't believe only one person said that out loud, just saying. Um, so grapes are produced on a vine. Now we know very well that you can't walk up to a, you can't walk up to like a little vine where grapes grow and like squeeze it on the end and like out comes a grape. Unfortunately, it doesn't work. That would be really cool. Maybe in heaven that happens. But on earth, that's not what happens. And, and Jesus uses these words to say, you cannot produce fruit without me. I'm the vine. I sustain you. I am where you get your source of life and I produce the fruit. You just simply remain in me, and I produce it. So this, this rhythm we talk about, and this is how we learn how to be um, gardened by the Lord. <laughs> That's not in my notes. I don't know why that came out, but it's a good word for it, I guess. So as part of this discipleship journey at Restore Church, we do these thing called, things called discipleship huddles. Many of you have been in them. And in these discipleship huddles, it's, a, it's like a, a year-long journey that where we study um, these shapes, and these shapes are basically just um, pictures that show us rhythms um, and disciplines to live into Jesus and how to hear from the Holy Spirit, okay? And one of the shapes is a semicircle. And we use, and we're gonna, I'm gonna put it up right here. The semicircle is a shape that we use um, that sorps, sort of helps us understand what time looks like in, from God's point of view, okay? So like we have a point of view of time, but our point of view of time is, is one directional. We can't go back, we can only go forward, we can't go sideways, we can't go around. Jesus' view of time is forever, right? All around us, before us, ahead of us, underneath us, around us, all of it, right? He has that view of time, and the way he works with us looks different than just a morning today, week of work, weekend of rest. In fact, the Lord teaches us that in order to um, produce fruit, right here, um, we have to first rest. 
How many of you guys were raised up on, this, on the idea of work hard, play hard? Anybody heard that phrase? Does anybody ever say play hard, work hard? No, that's not the, that's not the phrase. Ian, Ian, you don't say that. <laughs> it's because you've been through huddle, right? That's, no. Um, the way that Jesus calls us, he says, rest in me first. Take me in first and then work. Rest first and then work. That is why our, our Sabbath or our Sundays for us is at the beginning of the week. We rest first and then we work from our rest. So it's a confusing shape and I'm not gonna be able to go into detail. This is a great advertisement for discipleship huddles. They're awesome. Um, but this is how our time works, right? So we are, we are regularly going through seasons of rest and seasons of work. You know, we're kind of swinging back and forth. So imagine sort of like a pendulum swinging. This is time, how it works, and we're just kind of swinging back and forth between these periods. Now, our natural way of thinking is, okay, rest, like I said, is like, a, is like the weekend, and work is like the work week, right? That's not the Lord's view of work. In fact, I would contend that this actually feels more free than this. This is where the grape just comes out. That this is where the grape is watered, pruned. This is what happens in rest. Rest isn't necessarily a break. There is a space and a time and you need breaks. That's a, a part of life and, and our bodies are designed to need a sense of rest that is that. But the rest that Jesus is talking about is coming at his feet and receiving. You cannot give what you haven't been filled up with. And so, um, when in our discipleship huddles, what we try to do is recognize when God is calling us to a season of rest. He's calling us to a season of pruning. Pruning, as you can probably guess, is basically when things are, are, are cut off. Um, there's also a purging that happens um, as part of this. It's basically when the, when the branch is, is trimmed and anything that is weighing on it that keeps it from producing healthy, replenishing fruit um, is cut off. Okay? Um, so when we look at that in, in life in general, that is when the Lord calls us into something and he wants to prune something from our lives, change something in us. Change a, it could be giant, it could be, it could be tiny. Um, so this is something to hang on to. I'm gonna give you a little bit more practical way to think about this. There are four types of rest that a, a healthy disciple um, takes in and uses as part of their rhythms, okay? Um, and these, you need this rest before you, you work. So the first type, and th if you're a note taker, this is the spot. I love these, these have been really helpful for me to learn. The first one is daily silence. So here's the first type of rest, and this is a daily thing. I don't wanna be too um, particular about what this means, but I will tell you what it means for me or what it histor his has historically meant for me. Sometimes it is really just a pause, a moment. Like, have you ever been asked the question, you know, what's the first thing you do in the morning? We all hit the snooze or brush my teeth or whatever. 
Um, I'm definitely a snooze hitter, like, like six times or something. Um, but in my healthiest times, I like to start my day with I don't even move. I don't move anything. I don't get out of bed. I just, I, I do open my eyes so I don't sleep. I just take a couple deep cleansing breaths and just be silent and just listen. Sometimes God speaks. Sometimes I don't hear anything. But I just take that moment to pause before I do anything productive. I just take that moment. Sometimes a daily silence can be, hey, I do a devotional every day. That's awesome. That's a great, great thing to do. Maybe it's your lunch break. Maybe it's on the metro. Maybe it's at night before you go to bed. But it's a daily, regular discipline that you make time for. Not get time for. You make time for this. You make time for daily silence. The next one is weekly Sabbath. Now this is, like I said, we've talked, I've already said this, this is sort of like our concept of weekends, you know, taking a break. But it's not just sleeping in. Certainly that can be part of it. But it's something replenishing. So um, Sabbath can look different for different people in different seasons of life. When we had three little children, um, little teeny tiny, Sabbath wasn't a whole day. It was a lot of times Aaron and I kind of take in turns. I would have a morning and he would have an afternoon. Um, and even now, Sabbath, I, lo I love my children so much and they give me so much life. But it's not restful to like spend a whole day with them. It's, it's fun and filling in a different way. But it's not as though I'm sitting at the Lord's feet while my kids are like hitting me with Nerf bullets, right? So it's like... So Saturdays aren't, aren't a Sabbath for Aaron and I. Now we have this wonderful privilege of having a lot of control over our schedules. Um, and so Tuesdays, every Tuesday is our weekly Sabbath. We've done a lot of different things to Sabbath. Um, one of our favorite things to do is to go into the National Cathedral. There's actually a wonderful study area in the basement that's free. So you just go in and you say, um, I'm because you have to pay for a tour, but you say, I'm here to study. There's a great chapel. There's a prayer room in there that's specifically meant for quiet prayer. There's a person in there that gives you scriptures you can read. We've done that. There's this great little um, kind of small, um, what would you call that? Chapel. chapel. Thank you. I was going to say cathedral. That's not right. A chapel that's just gorgeous stained glass, and it's just it's beautiful. They used to have a spot where you could light candles and, of course, say prayers. There, there's really a lot of great options there. So that's a neat, neat thing to get away to. Um, sometimes we'll do that and then we'll go see a movie as part of our, our daily, re our weekly replenishment. Um, there's a lot of different ways to Sabbath, but the most important, most important part of it is of course having silence, but then also creating space to listen for the Lord. Making it, right? Like I said, not getting it, making it. It's an appointment, right? If that's how it works for you. The next type of holy rest rhythm that we live into is a seasonal getaway. Now, um, I'm not being super clear on these because there's so many different ways to define this. So I hope this isn't frustrating to you, instead giving you ways, things to think about. But seasonal getaways are kind of, I guess, vacations you can call it. You can do a vacation and go and get away. The, the really important part of this is get away. 
get literally physically take yourself away from a place where you have to be responsible, where you have to produce, where you are supposed to work. You have to get away from that because we're humans. We're not great at taking off the responsibility cap unless we're physically away from it. So I'd say two or three times a year, a seasonal getaway is important. Erin and I do this in a lot of different ways. We do um, a summer trip to the beach with our boys when we can afford it. That's not been every summer. Um, we, um, yes, our favorite place to go, and, and by the way, we know a number of wonderful affordable cabins to go to is Shenandoah Valley, which we go to Luray, which is like a two hour drive from here. It's beautiful and it's so different than this area because it's just mountains and um, stars and trees, and it's wonderful. Um, there's a lot of great hiking there if you haven't been. That's another place that we will either take our family there or Aaron and I will even go on like a two-night getaway. My parents will come into town or his parents and watch our kids. So this is something we've practiced really well. The last one hmm, is a sabbatical. Now a sabbatical is, is much bigger. And I would say that this is something that um, as human beings we're terrible at and in ministry we're not so great at. In fact, it's something I would say that is more associated with the word get to do than, um, than it is a calling to do. Sabbatical is, is, a, is a, of course, a biblical thing. A sabbatical um, plays off of the word Sabbath. Um, so in the Torah, they would take a sabbatical year. This is sort of like part of their agricultural plan. And they would take a, a year-long sabbatical. And it basically was a season of trusting God. There's a whole lot that went with it. But it was a season of rest. The idea is, that is to just be in the presence of the Lord and to, and to take off your cap of, I have to force all these things to work. And I'm doing so by trusting that God will make it work. Which is funny because he doesn't need our help to make it work. He makes it work. So we take this sabbatical and we rest. Um, I've given you examples of how Aaron and I have done these rests, um, but we've not been perfect. I haven't been perfect at it. In fact, I would say we've been teaching these concepts and, and learning about them the entire time we've, we've been leading Restore. So just a, a little bit of background for those of you that are newer to us. Um, Aaron and I moved here, moved to the D.C. area um, in 2011 when our children were, um, let's see, one and a half, three, and four months and decided to start a church <laughs> without any family around. It's so brilliant, right? So we moved out here. Um, we moved out. We were brought out by an organization that hired us to do this. It wasn't just us like, let's do this thing. We were brought out after a long period of fundraising from an 800-square-foot apartment in Indianapolis, Indiana, moving out here to a completely different culture. Um, than anywhere we had lived before. All of our ministry experience had been in Indiana, Arizona, and Colorado. Like, imagine a map. I don't know why I'm doing that. Very different than the East Coast. But we felt the Lord bring us here in a number of ways. I won't bore you with all the details of that. 
But we pursued this and really felt God calling, and it's been an exciting journey. That very first year, we started around my dining room table with Sutter put to bed, and we had a babysitter for the other two kids in the basement, and I think we had six adults around our dining room table. Um, and we met every other week to start to learn what it was good, this meant to start a missional community and then decided to launch a public gathering in 2012. And let me tell you, we were exhausted. Um, I know there's a whole lot about this role and about what Aaron and I and I do in Liz and Ian and all of those um, that have led here. Um, Phil and Amy carried such a weight for a long, long time as well. Um, there's a whole lot you don't know about ministry until, vocational ministry, until you, you do it, right? Um, and so much of what people see, even though you're smart, you know better, so much of what you see is putting together slides, singing some songs, and preaching a message, and you think, that sounds like a piece of cake. Oh, I wish that's all it was. Um, but that first year especially, I learned a great lesson of um, the importance of rest. This is when I was first starting to learn these rhythms. Unfortunately, I didn't learn quick enough. I had run myself ragged, Aaron had run himself ragged, trying to get things ready for this public worship launch. And in uh, September, early September of 2012, we were launching in October, we got so sick in September um, that we both got pneumonia. I was in the hospital for just under a week and then as soon as I came out, Aaron came in and stayed in the hospital for a few days. I'd love to, I'd love to like martyr ourselves and say, we were just, just such hard workers. No, we were working ourselves in an unhealthy way, in all honesty, because we thought, this is our, our church. We didn't really realize we were thinking that, but we thought this is our church, we have to make it go. We stress ourselves out, lesson learned. This was a painful lesson to learn. Oh, this is your church, God. Okay, here we are, fast forward, and somehow I find myself in a spot again. My responsibilities for Restore are not heavy, um, and I mean tasks, responsibilities. But over the last three or four years, they have become so much heavier than I realized. And somehow, um, everything in my life turned into a responsibility. Like it was my job to make sure I didn't say the wrong thing on social media or express the wrong thing to the wrong group of people or um, be a bad example in front of my kids um, and show them how tiring church planting really was. Um, and I began to just take on this weight that somehow bringing people to Jesus was on me and when people left our church or when I let them down, that I somehow was like, which was often, was ruining the kingdom of God on me. And um, I've come to this place where I have had less and less energy and I haven't been able to squeeze out that grape. And God has given me less and less words to the point where I've just holed up in my house. And I'm telling you that today. I'm not proud
proud of it? Um, I'm not. It's a sin. I, I know it's, it's sinful because I know God does not ask me to do all these things. I've taken it upon myself. Unfortunately, I haven't realized this until recently because I wasn't resting properly. Um, so all this to say, that announcement, you're paying attention, I can tell, uh, is that I'm going to take a sabbatical. This is my last Sunday here for the next four months. Um, and I'm sad, and I'll be honest, it wasn't my idea. But it was one that I knew was from God fairly quickly. Um, and um, I think that God is calling me to a time where I can just be with him. I don't have to be responsible in every single relationship that I have to bring them to Jesus, or to keep them from running from Jesus, I guess, where I don't have to, um, where I can face my failures in a human way and not feel like I've ruined somebody's faith because of it. Um, or I can just sit and be with him. And so our wonderful leading community has given me this opportunity to do this. And um, so what this means is that for the next four months, I won't be here, which is odd. My kids and my husband will still be here. Um, and it's not, this does not come out of, this. there's no one situation, there's no one person, there's, this is a godly, wonderful, ordained thing that is not only good for me, but this is healthy and holy for Restore Church. I know that God will use this in a number of ways, from bringing up people in leadership and giving them opportunities to feel the calling and responsibility to care for others and to do some of the tasks that I've done also. Um, God has given us this incredible team um, of leaders, um, both lay leaders and our staff, who have, um, who the Lord has just given this incredible amount of energy to. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's God's doing. All that to say, if you feel like you don't have anything else to give, you're just out. You just can't squeeze an, a, another ounce of fruit out of you. It's because you can't. It's because you need rest. And it's because you need to lean on him. I'm going to leave, leave you with this verse that you've heard likely many, many times before. But I want you to hang on to these words. This is Matthew chapter 11. What to put on the screen, sorry. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, meaning take only the work that I give you to carry, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Will you pray with me?